It's my daughter, in case you didn't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, Skateville. Okay, fi- uh, March 28th, we're going to meet at 5 o'clock instead of 5.30. Wear your, your best 80s outfit. In case you didn't know, I'm the boy in that picture. If you see the pictures around church, I'm the doofus with his hat pulled over his head and the dumb grin. That's me. And the other ones you can try to figure out. There are other staff people, though. So we're going to meet here at 5. Wear your best 80s outfit, and uh, we'll do a, sh- a little shortened version of Solstice. And then we're going to – we've got Skateville rented, and it's going to be off the hook, okay? Do you, people say that anymore? Youth people off the – yeah, okay. The, the youth pastors are going no, and our college friends over here are going yes. So there's a difference between high school and post-college right there. All right? Uh, so that's going to be great. Uh, if, invite your friends, neighbors, anybody that wants to skate. It's going to be great. So um, – uh, also, there are no, uh, we, we typically had uh, a couple of classes for kids, like big kids were the ones that just left, and then biggest kids were up to about, I think, sixth grade, and I could be wrong on this because I n- always forget. But bottom line is uh, we have just kind of failed to, to create a critical mass of people for that, and so for now, that class is uh, no longer available. Uh, if, in fact, that it affects you or people that you know or uh, if you come and, and uh, want that, please let us know, and as we have enough kids for that, we'll try to uh, field a teacher for it, all right? Um, and uh, we showed a video last week, but we're not going to show the video this week. I just want to remind you, we've got the Bama Seat uh, drama next week. It's a one-man deal. Uh, it's about an hour and a half, so it's going to take up all of Solstice. It is really, really, really amazing. I've heard tons about it, and I'm pumped, so uh, invite your friends, invite whoever you want to come. Does that sound good? Fantastic. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my friend... Dave, my friend Stu, uh, Stu and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years, uh, great mutual friends, and Stu's been here before and taught us, and he's continuing our series on the Beatitudes, so if you would, please, give your warmest oh solstice wow. welcome to Stu, my so big friend Stu, <laughs> and look at, look at this outfit, this is just, isn't this nice, man, wow, I mean, wow that's great, okay, that's enough I for me. I see what you wear every week, and so I have to show people what pastors <laughs> should look like when they preach, so, and uh, look at Micah's faux hawk tonight, I mean, that is, wow, I mean, that is trendy and metro all at the same time, absolutely love it, um, love solstice, love being here with you guys. Actually, uh, my, my official title is the Reverend David James Stewart. So all this Dave business, Micah, let's, uh, let's show some respect. Any of these saying stop making jokes and tell people to pass the offering so that you can give money before you leave and disgust for the words out of my mouth. So why don't you take those black bags that are at the end of the aisle, pass them whichever direction feels most natural, and then I don't know what you're supposed to do with them. So um, just leave them on the ground, I guess, maybe. Um, so you guys, uh, I love, I love this community as a very, uh, special place in my heart. Brian, the last pastor, was a great friend. Micah is one of my closest friends. Um, used to play guitar up there every once in a while. So just, I love coming down here. I'm on staff at a church in Edina. Uh, and so it's nice to get, um, away in a new context and be able to hang out with some people that I deeply love and, uh, and value. And so glad to be here. Um, so is this uh, week number eight in the series? I mean, we're doing this series called This Just In, and when Micah told me he was uh, doing a series on the Beatitudes, I just kind of begged to, to be able to preach one of these because I thought it sounded like fun, and, you know, what else do I do on Sunday night? So, uh, so week number eight, and as I, as I was preparing for this, I listened to all of Micah's sermons 
because, I mean, it's better than reading the Bible. It's more life-giving and fulfilling. Just kidding. But as he was... So I'm listening to his sermon just to make sure I'm not going to completely contradict what he has said in the last seven weeks. And I'm going to turn over most of what he said, but there will be a little piece left. Just kidding. That joke is not funny, actually. But he totally ruined the movie Gran Torino for me. He's like, do you guys remember this? He's talking about this in one of his sermons. And he's like, and Gran Torino is a story of redemption. One person's closing the reason. He's like, the guy dies in the end. I'm like, I haven't seen the movie yet. And now I don't have to. Thanks, jerk. Sorry, Caden. Did, did you hear that? Yeah. Now I ruined it for you. How does it feel? It's terrible, isn't it? Gosh. So make a disclaimer. We're going to ruin some Hollywood movies for us. Uh, anyway, I think Mike has done a fantastic job setting up the Beatitudes, telling you what they are about, what they are not about. Um, and this is one of those portions of Scripture that is easy to misunderstand and a lot of damage can be done even with the uh, best of intentions. Were you signaling for me to do something else or you're just raising your coffee in celebration of what I'm saying? Okay, love that. Here's what I want to do. Uh, do we, we stand here in, a, in Baptist churches when we read the scripture? Let's everyone stand and I'm going to read some scripture. I love this. Matthew 4:23. It's on page 958 in your uh, Red Pew Bibles. If you are so inclined to follow along, otherwise just listen. Here we go. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people uh, brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when he, saw the, uh, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, as we come to the uh, text tonight, we come to the message, we ask that we would have ears to hear the things that you would have to say to us this evening. We pray that we would pay attention to your spirit moving in this room, that we would um, be aware of uh, the things that you would have us uh, take away from this. God, I pray that this would be transforming in our hearts, that it would be more than just some nice words. Jesus, be here. Uh, give me clarity of speech and help me not to say anything too stupid. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Can I, I also want to say I loved the whole dancing thing. That was so cool. Um, I, was a, I was a gymnast growing up, as um, some of you might know. I was really tempted to get up and start doing tour jetés and stuff like that. Next, was Beth, was that your name? But I, I didn't want to. So anyway, that was cool. I love that we can worship in all sorts of different ways. I hope this, you guys listening, can be an act of worship. Um, if nothing else, you'll have something to laugh at. So I want to go three places with this message tonight. First, um, as Mike has talked about the last few weeks, the Beatitudes are this announcement that the kingdom of heaven is in fact at hand. And what I want to do is... It's going to make a lot more sense when we talk about our text, Matthew 5, 9, the peacemaker's text, if we talk about what the kingdom actually is. So we're going to start there. And then what I want to do is I want to frame 
the Beatitudes, this, uh, these eight little deals here that Jesus says, in the big picture narrative of, of all of Scripture, specifically this idea of covenant and resurrection, incarnation, and then mission. You don't have to worry about the big theological terms. I just graduated from seminary, so it feels really good to say them like I'm using my education, so don't worry about it, okay? Um, I just want to make us aware of the story behind the story of the uh, reality that's just behind the curtain of what's um, obvious here. And then finally, we will definitely talk about what it is to be a peacemaker. This is so funny, just having some friends here sitting in the front row, just listening to me. Usually when, when we're sitting here discussing, there's lots of insults being thrown around. And just, Josh, at any time, feel free just to banter, okay? Okay, thank you for coming. As we start, I want to take us all back to ninth grade geometry class which is the obvious place to start for a text like this. And your question now might be, what does this have to do with the price of fish in Guatemala? And the answer is, is this. In geometry, I took it in ninth grade. I don't know what year you guys took it. I learned that the best place to begin with a difficult problem is with that which you can assume about the problem. They call it the givens. Or what are your assumptions? So you lay out your assumptions, and then the rest of the problem becomes clear. Knowing this is true over here, here's what we still need to figure out. Knowing this is true, this definitely cannot be true over here. So our assumptions are going to dictate where we go tonight with this. Now, I want us to assume that when Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he knew what he was talking about. I know that might sound uber obvious, but I think we need to say it, that Jesus has a very clear and coherent message to communicate to his listeners. And he does so in an orderly, thoughtful, thought-provoking, and rather brilliant way, which helps develop the theme of what's going on here, which is the availability and the tangible presence of this thing called the kingdom of heaven. That is all that to say this. There's a flow to the Beatitudes that we need to pay attention to. Jesus lays them out not as this random collection of um, random ways to find yourself blessed, but is this brilliantly, intimately connected network of thoughts that is really saying one thing. And it's actually key to the message that Jesus came to bring and the message he came to embody. And I could ramble on and on about what this message is in fact is, or I could sum it up to you in a quote from Dallas Willard. Do we have that up there? Let's put that on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. This is Dallas Willard, the author of The Divine Conspiracy. This is how he sums up this particular teaching. The Beatitudes in particular are not teachings on how to be blessed. They are not instructions to do anything. They do not indicate conditions that are especially pleasing to God or good for human beings. No one is actually being told that they are better off for being poor, for mourning, for being persecuted, and so on, or that the conditions listed are recommended ways to well-being before God or man. Nor are the Beatitudes indications of who will be on top after the revolution. They are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in him the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond human hope. Now, deep breath right there. Let's begin to un that a little bit because that is heady and if you read Willard you know that you can handle about a paragraph before you need to just stop and take a deep breath so let's go back to the setting in which Jesus gave 
this teaching. He was teaching in Galilee. He was going around, walking around from place to place, proclaiming with his words the presence and availability of this strange and esoteric thing called the kingdom of God. And before he would do that, though, he would heal people of their sickness, of their illnesses, of their paralysis, of their seizures, of their demon possession. He would set people free. And in fact, he was doing this to the point where everywhere he went, crowds would follow him. People wanted to see what was going on because they recognized that God was doing something unique in their midst. And when he gives these words, they're not emerging out of nowhere. He, he says these beatitudes, the blessed are. He says these to the very people that he has just touched and healed. Those who are under oppression are experiencing freedom because of Jesus' presence in their life. These are people who have seen what he's done and experienced firsthand what God is doing in their midst. So Matthew tells us this one time in particular. He's doing this in Galilee. He, go, he sees the opportunity. He goes up to a mountain, and then he begins to teach them. And this, it's strange that this is what he says to them. That, that blessed are the poor in spirit or those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. I mean, that's not exactly what you'd expect a really awesome sermon to start like, in my opinion. Now, before we go any further, I want to take just one second and maybe kind of go on a little rant or a rabbit trail and just clear up some confusion about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And then we're going to come back to the context and we'll come back to the peacemakers in a second. But I, I want to venture a guess that a lot of people, when they hear the phrase kingdom of heaven, we have this um, uh, idea that we think Jesus is talking about the afterlife. That he's talking about something that happens when we die. In fact, we hear the phrase kingdom of heaven and maybe are inclined to think that Jesus is talking about, in fact, going to heaven when you die. Um, After all, I mean, that has been one of the main thrusts of the gospel presentation in our country for at least a few hundred years that what what you need to do is, um, because God is angry, because you've sinned, you need to get Jesus' blood so that you can go to this place called heaven when you die, that's what the gospel is at its most basic level, right? This must be what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes when he says the kingdom of heaven, this place that you go after you die. And so the, the, the Beatitudes are blessings for those on earth, uh, uh, for those in heaven who have done or experienced these things on earth. I mean, that's kind of, that was my first take at it, the Beatitudes. Now, when we have this understanding of the kingdom of heaven as something that happens, a reality that comes after we die. It's really easy to lose hope in this world because you're just sitting there waiting for heaven to come. You are just um, kind of like this vampire Christian who has got the blood of Jesus. And now that you got the blood, you're good to go. I just need your blood, Jesus. Get my ticket to heaven punched. And now I'm just going to read the Left Behind series and chill. I know I shouldn't have said that I was trying to resist. I just couldn't help it, okay? Got to get that little jab. Now it's, pause, go back. The main problem with this whole thing about just avoiding hell, going to heaven when you die, getting with the blood, dealing with your own personal sin, and then calling it a deal, is that Jesus never talks about going to heaven when you die. He never once mentions it. Frankly, it's not a Jewish idea. It's talking about going somewhere when you die. The word kingdom, let's unpack that. A kingdom is simply the place where the king 
has power and authority. It's not rocket science. And heaven is a Jewish idea which describes the unseen aspect of God's reality. So if we put them together, the kingdom of heaven, the the unseen realm where God's authority and power is reality. See, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's it. He didn't create some other universe where people go and they get white robes and they play harps and, you know, they sing lots of really good hymns for eternity. That's just not heaven. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is this unseen aspect of reality that is here, right now. And so, for Jesus and these other first century thinkers, uh, first century Jewish thinkers, the ultimate sign that the kingdom of heaven is being revealed uh, is that death will no longer be the final statement. And that's where this idea of resurrection and new life, and what we would call eternal life, comes into being. And eternal life is something that begins not when you die, but when you become a part of God's family, when you become identified as a member of this thing called Israel, when you become identified in the Messiah. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. So don't hear kingdom of heaven and think afterlife. Hear kingdom of heaven and think present, unseen reality where God's will is being accomplished. So now back to Jesus proclaiming the good news, this wonderful message of the kingdom of heaven to the crowds. He doesn't just tell them, and it's a little ironic and maybe even hypocritical, that I'm up here simply using words to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. If I had any fortitude whatsoever, I'd say, bring your sicknesses up here and we'll pray for your healing. But honestly, it'd be kind of scary if we prayed for you. And nothing happened. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why pastors are so afraid to mimic Jesus in this area. Is because what if people don't get healed? Then we're maybe not legit pastors, or maybe our prayers aren't as effective. That's another little rant. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think Jesus still wants to manifest his kingdom to us this way. By setting us free from oppression, by taking our illness, and those things that bear down on us from this world that we all experience, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing, I know you guys experience it. I have in my own life. And the kingdom coming near is, is God saying this, I want to change the world that you live in. So we read these different circumstances in the Beatitudes, to pour, to be poor, to be full of mourning, to be meek, to be hungry for something. And, and we, what we're seeing is that this, this kingdom reality is, is meeting us in the crap in our lives. It's not that it's blessed to be poor, okay? It's not good to be poor. Mourning is not a blessing. If you've lost someone that you've loved and mourned for them, it's not a blessing. To be hungry and, and even thirsty for righteousness means you're lacking something. That is not a blessing, and that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying here is that God's blessing, the kingdom, this reality of God, is going to meet you in the less than perfect places. Because our God, and here's the good news, friends, is not afraid to get his hands dirty in the crap 
of our lives. It's not like we have to get everything together before we approach God. Jesus sees this crowd of people who are full of illness and whatever, and he says, I am close to you, and I'm not afraid to touch you. And that, to me, is scary. (laughs) Because God has drawn near to the messiness in my life, and I am really good at covering it up most of the time. Especially once I got my seminary degree. Now it's like, now that I'm the reverend, I don't have to talk about my messiness anymore. But the Beatitudes are really a declaration that God has come close. And there could be a million other Beatitudes about, blessed are you when you are abandoned. Blessed are you when your marriage doesn't work out. Blessed are you when your life is in the crapper because of terrible things that you made. Because our God is a God who gets his hands dirty so that's the first part of the beatitudes the second part is that now that this god has got his dirty hands on you you can't relate to people the same now either if you read the first four beatitudes it talks about these states of being to be poor to be mournful to be meek and then the second uh, set the last four are actions or ways that we relate to one another so to be merciful to be pure in heart to be a peacemaker and to be persecuted it's, it's this crazy idea that God, his reality, takes us in, and then we are not the same. And here is a really cool idea that I um, uh, am just confronted with as I was reading this. Ephesians six twelve. it's not, not on the screen. I don't have a page number. But Paul says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's what that is saying to us. People are never the enemy. People cannot be the enemy. If it has flesh and blood, our call is to mimic what God did for us and is to come close to them. We're going to come back to that when we talk about the peacemaker stuff. So one more time to summarize. Beatitudes, not a description of who is blessed, not a new law, not a moral code to follow in order to get a blessing. The Beatitudes are God's way of saying, I know how you feel, and I'm doing something about it. Wonderful news, because when you enter my reality, when my kingdom comes close to you, my way of life is taken on by you, everything will be different. The Beatitudes, a proclamation that God's kingdom has finally arrived. Here's the key part. In Jesus Jesus is the key to all of this. It's not like it arrives through a pastor's good words or some good songs and the songs were good. The key is that in Jesus, this reality is here, not yet fully revealed. We can't disconnect our belonging in the kingdom or our inheriting of the earth or the comfort that we feel, or all the other things that Mike has talked about the last seven weeks, apart from our identity in Jesus. That's part of the program. Now, let's get to Matthew 5, 9 here. Now that we're going to get to the message, I guess, even though the message started. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, and I am reading from the NIV, so it, ladies, it is sons of God in this translation. Now, I am an equal opportunity employer. I read the TNV myself. Mike is giving me a dirty look like, don't say this either. I, okay, I'll get to that in a second. 
I think in this, in this particular translation, sons of God is good to begin with. And then we under, when we understand why, then we will move it to children of God. But here's why sons of God is important. If we go back a few chapters, Matthew 2.15. If there's a phrase that catches you when you're reading the Gospels, look for other places it's used. This is not an accidental feel-good phrase that Jesus uses here to say, Oh, family, that's a feel-good thing. I'll tell peacemakers that they're part of God's family. This is an intentional phrase used to evoke two main stories that this Jewish audience would have been very familiar with. The first one is found in Matthew 2.15, where Joseph and Mary are leaving um, where they are to go down to Egypt. They're running from Herod, and it says this, 14 and 15. He got up, took the child, he being Joseph, and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, uh, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it's fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, that prophet being Hosea in chapter 11. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, when you hear the word Egypt, this is what you have to think of. And Micah does a fantastic job uh, of doing this. When you think of Egypt, you think back to the time of Moses. All right? So when you hear Egypt, you hear Israel. That is the son that Hosea is actually talking about. So out of Egypt, God says through Hosea, I called my son Israel. And Israel is representative of God's covenant family. Those who are true Jews, not just born into the ethnic thing and did the whole circumcision thing and all that, but those who are part of God's family are called Israel. So Jesus says, if you're a peacemaker, and we'll get to that in a second, just wait, I can see you getting impatient, then you, need, you will be identified as part of my true family. This is a big deal. This is huge. The second part comes in 317, just a few verses later, where Jesus is being baptized by John 317. A voice from heaven said, this is God's voice speaking over Jesus as, he, as he's being baptized. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I have well pleased. So God declares Jesus to be his unique son here. So now when Jesus says that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, Jesus is saying to be a peacemaker. This particular thing that you experience, this particular way you interact with the kingdom, identifies you as a true member of God's family, and it uniquely identifies you with the person and the mission of this person called the Messiah. So Jesus is saying, you are going to be like me, and you are going to be identified as God's son, and now we can say God's children, now that we understand the son thing. This is so important for us to, even as Christians in the 21st century, to identify ourselves as part of Israel, part of God's family, to be identified as in the same vein as Jesus the son. We'll see why in a second. In Jewish culture, actually, it's kind of interesting, a name, what someone was called, revealed the character of that person. So, in uh, 5, 9, it says, for they will be called sons of God. Now, what's going on here is it's a future verb, but the, the future verb connotes this idea that they, in fact, already possess the character and the benefits of this thing they are being called, in this case, sons. So now, a son in Jewish culture, and this is important, gets what? The inheritance. The son, especially the oldest, has the right to the inheritance. So what Jesus is saying 
the peacemakers, you will be identified in God's covenant family. You will be representative of me, the Messiah. And you, are, you have a special claim to this inheritance. And this is why I think all these Beatitudes, they're all connected and it's all talking about one situation. In 5.5, five, blessed are the meek, for what? For they will inherit the earth. So my friends, here's the deal. You are identified in Jesus. You are part of God's family. You are going to inherit the earth. Now, I think what that means is this. When you die, you're going to die. I have news for you. Sorry. That's the end of the sermon. Amen. Go in peace. You're going to die someday. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is this. You, like Jesus, if you are identified in him, will experience this mysterious thing called resurrection. And you will be given new bodies and a new life that is imperishable. And our life will then begin here on the, in the redeemed, in the new creation. So you are literally going to take over ownership or ruling of earth when the kingdom that is not yet fully revealed is fully revealed. You are going to inherit what God is doing here on earth when this hidden thing called the kingdom of heaven is the fully revealed reality on earth, when this partially here present uh, uh, future thing going on shows up and the curtain is pulled over, we are going to inherit the earth. I mean, if that doesn't fire you up a little bit, I don't know what's going to. That fires me up. That gives me a reason to get up in the morning and to do my job well. That gives me a reason to not cuss at the person who cuts me off or who gives me my Burger King too slow in the drive-thru. Because I know that what is going on here is going to continue. That these relationships, this world is not just going to be thrown away. We're going to inherit the earth because we're sons, we're children of God. And that's what it means to be children of God. The way you treat the creation reflects the way you treat the creator, Rob Bell said. It's all connected. It's all together. Being a peacemaker then. Now it would be really easy just to say, being a peacemaker is all about being nice to one another. Now go in peace. But let's be honest. We know that that's not exactly what Jesus has in mind here. A peacemaker is someone who enters into the tension of life because let's be honest life is a big fat gray area of complexity and confusion who enters into the tension and takes two opposing sides and says i'm not on your side i'm not on your side i'm on both your sides because that's what god did when he incarnated into a little baby being a peacemaker is all about mimicking the incarnation when god came down in the most vulnerable form a human child his goal was to make peace with humanity and himself. And even indeed with humanity and humanity and humanity and creation. That's what the incarnation was. It was a great, grand act of peacemaking. Uh, it's, it, it, the, the gospels say that while we were still, I'm sorry, this is Romans, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He came in the midst of the chaos and the gray and he made peace through his death. The incarnation is all about peacemaking. So we are called to mimic this. We are called to go out and to do the same thing. 
Jesus didn't come to be against some, because remember, Paul says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers. So if someone has flesh and blood, they are not the enemy. They are the ones we are to work with peacemaking things. Does anyone have messy relationships in their life? Does anyone have, yeah, come on, I saw one. Does anyone have conflict in your life? Bono said it best, we all got way too much conflict, baby. What Jesus is calling us to do is to enter into the conflict wherever you find it, not avoid it, and to work to manifest this future reality in the midst of the conflict. Now, the funny thing is this. Jesus says um, in uh, Matthew 10, 34, just a few verses later, that do not suppose that I have come to bring peace, I have come to bring a sword. What? I thought you were all about peacemaking, Jesus. Even in the next beatitude, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for, they won't, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not stupid. He knows that when you enter into the peacemaking process, you might even cause more conflict than there was. And you know what peacemaking got Jesus? It got him a cross. And it got him nails in his hands. But in so doing, he reconciled humanity to himself. To God. And if we want to be identified as sons, as children of God, we go out and become peacemakers. That's a tension to me. To know that to go out into these messy areas in the world, that I'm going to be maybe persecuted for that, or it's not going to be easy. Thinking of a few areas in my life right now where I need to embrace that kingdom reality of being a peacemaker. And now I want to stop preaching. <laughs> this is what it is to be a son and a daughter, a child of God. This is what it means to embody this kingdom reality in the moments that we live in. This is what it means to inherit the earth. This is what it means to possess the kingdom of heaven where you go, where you live. It is a messy process. But it is how we mimic Jesus. It is how we enter into bringing and, and making the kingdom that is in the future more fully present. Now, I work with high school kids, and I can't tell you how many times they say, when is God going to come back? Like there's just some date on the calendar, like I'm going to return today. You know, I always say to them, what are you doing to hasten the return? What are you doing to make what will be true now? And they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I don't like to think of like time as this linear thing where we're going to this place where God is going to reveal I want to see my life as this process of pulling that future reality into the present moment. Do with that what you will. As sons and daughters of God, as inheritors of the earth, as those who possess the kingdom. To finish, to close, invite the band back up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. 17 through 21, and I saved it till the end because I think it'll tie everything together really nicely. Can we get that on the screen there? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's and women's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is the reality, my friends. Jesus came and made peace with us and God. And now he says, do that in the world. Because you already possess the kingdom, you're going to inherit the earth. If death is the worst thing you experience, fine. Go out as my ambassador, as my representative, and be a peacemaker in whatever way the Spirit leads you to do that in the space that you live and move and breathe. And if that, my friends, doesn't fire you up to go and live a life that honors the name of Jesus, then I don't frankly know what will. Amen? Amen. Um, as we move towards communion, we wanted to um, sing a song.